The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Would you open with me to Second Peter? Our text for today is Second Peter, chapter one, verses five through eleven, which says, "For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing." They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform, confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... They will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this day that you've woken us from our slumber. Lord, that you've given us the next breath that you've brought us here together with other brothers and sisters to lift up your holy name on this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank you for the grace and your mercy that you pour out on us each day. We ask forgiveness for overlooking your beautiful, your beautiful attributes, how you love us, how you loved us so that you've granted us salvation. We thank you for the community that you've placed us in. Lord, we ask for forgiveness that in so many ways we've neglected uh, to reach out uh, to the thousands and thousands of people in this community who are lost and have one direction away from you. We pray, God, that as other gospel-preaching churches in this community, in this city, in this state, that we lift them up to you. We pray that the word of God is proclaimed boldly, unashamedly. Lord, bless those preachers. Bless those churches as they do your work. Bless Grace on the Ashley this morning as we open up your word and we, we hear your truth proclaimed. And Lord, as we open your word, we rely on your spirit to open our hearts, open our minds to the truth, your truth, the one true and living God. Lord, bless now the words of our pastor. Father, allow him to forget himself so that he can speak solely in all truth of you and your doctrines. Lord, I pray that his words will be laden with your love and filled with your wisdom, a wisdom that's not of this world. Lord, grant him, grant that the Holy Spirit may permeate him so that he may become a true mediator of your word. Grant us the hearer's grace that we may really hear your word and allow it to pierce our hearts and our souls. Help us to welcome your word as the living word of God and allow it to work in us so that we may take it home with us, so that a bit of this church may spring up wherever we are, so that our week may be filled with the gift of your grace, the gift of grace 
that you've given us today. Let us not forget what we've heard this morning, but rather apply it to our lives. Father, remain the light of our days. Help us to focus on the cross. Lord, become the goal of our love. By your example of love, may we love others. Father, bestow on us, through your word, new life in your faith, a life of prayer and supplication. And, Father, if those, if there are any here this morning that don't know you, open their heart. Grant them the faith that saves. Bless us now. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you, Josh. <clears throat> that is a text. We have today from Second Peter. Let me give you a little overview to begin with. Um, so open your Bibles if you would. If you some Bibles in the seats around you. If you don't have one, uh, you can grab one of those and turn to Second Peter as we do a little overview of what we've heard from Pastor Greg the last couple of Sundays. <coughs> Uh, in verses 1 through 4, at the beginning of this chapter, he asks several questions, um, three questions for the last couple of weeks. I don't know. Um, I heard somebody teasing him this week, and it took you two weeks to preach four verses. Good gracious, couldn't, can't you move along a little faster? But in about five minutes, I'm going to give you an overview of all both of those sermons. So. So he asked, what is a Christian? Um, What does it mean to know Christ? And what blessings come through knowing Christ? And those are the three questions that are are answered in these first four verses. What is a a Christian, he says? Um, We see that in verses 2 and 3. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's, that's one definition. Uh, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. What is a Christian one who has been called? One who has the knowledge of, uh, and that's not just head knowledge in this case, Knowledge of of God and Jesus our Lord. We see in verse two and three, and that's how he answers those that particular question. Then he asks, "What does it mean to know Christ?" Well, that answer to that question is uh, uh, threefold: uh, to be called by Him. We see that a little bit in in verse three. Is uh, I read to you a minute ago, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. What does it mean to know Christ? You've been called by him. What does it mean to know Christ? To be granted faith to those uh, who believe in him. We see that in the very first verse, to those who have obtained a faith. Of equal standing with ours, Peter says. So to be granted faith, uh, to believe in him. That's what it means to know Christ. And then the third thing is to receive righteousness. We see that also in verse 1 uh, where he says, to be, to have, uh, Who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness 
of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he answered, what is a Christian? What does it mean to know Christ? And then the third question, Pastor Greg answered for us here, or Peter answered for us. Um, what blessings come through knowing Christ? Well, we escape uh, from the corruption of this particular this world that we live in. Verse 4, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, uh, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What are the blessings that come from knowing Christ? Well, we escape from the corruption of the world. We also have the blessing of grace and peace. You see that in verse, right at the beginning of verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied. Another blessing is we have everything we need for godly, godly living. Everything we need for godly living. Everything. You know how much is everything? It's everything. It's like all is all. We have everything. And we see that in in verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, Fourthly, we we see that we have his promises in verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Promises so so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Those are the blessings that come through knowing Christ. There so there 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 are many many blessings. My wife and I read um, every morning from uh, Spurgeon's checkbook of faith. How many of you have Spurgeon's checkbook of faith? A few of you. Um, Okay, if you want a copy. Come see me later, and I'll make sure you get one. But it, it's 365 devotions, and every single devotion is based on a promise of God. So I know there are at least 365 in Scripture, and there are many, many more than that. We receive the promises of God by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And then lastly, right after that, we see that we're partakers of the divine nature. So that through those promises, um, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so Peter answers for us those questions. What is a Christian? What does it mean to know Christ? What are the blessings that come from knowing Christ? And what he's... What he's saying to this church he's writing and what he's saying to us also is that we must appreciate our foundation. He's telling these people, appreciate your foundation. This passage this week particularly, although at other times as well, has been one of the most convicting passages of Scripture for me personally. He gives us the foundation there in these four verses. Martin Luther, at this point in his commentary, says, Therefore he exalts them to test themselves. And this is the transition we make. He 
Um, and when he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then verse 5, for this very reason, for the re- those, the, the, those four verses, for this very reason. And then he goes on, Luther says, therefore, I told you I was going to try to have a Luther quote every sermon this year for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. As Luther says in his commentary, therefore, he exalts them to test themselves by good works and become sure of their faith. Luther and good works. That's almost an oxymoron, right? As one knows trees by their fruit. He tells them that for this very reason, make every effort, he says in verse five. Bunyan said, the soul of religion is the practical part. For this reason, make every effort. And so he's telling the, the, these elect exiles, he calls them. And he's telling us, too, because of the promises I've given you, because of the blessings of life, that I've given you. You can't be self-satisfied. You can't be indifferent about your life. There's such an abundance of divine grace that I've given you. And he's described there in the first four verses require ultimate dedication. Ultimate effort. Because of the new birth and the promises that you have powerfully through God's Gift, the, the, the power that you have in him, the promises that you have in him. He reminds his, leader that they, his readers that they have a responsibility to cultivate something in their lives. For this reason, make every effort, something to cultivate in their lives. Because they've received these, these precious resources that he's described The new birth in Christ does not eliminate human activity. You get that? Does that ring true to you? The the new birth that you have in Christ does not eliminate. We talk about God's sovereignty and God being in complete control of everything and God electing us before the foundation of the world and all those truths we know and all those truths we believe. And then we say, but that doesn't eliminate human activity. Burkhoff defines sanctification as a work of God in which believers cooperate. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Or some translations say, add to your faith. Your part. What's your, what's your part in all of this? Make, and it's make maximum. It's strong. Make maximum. You've come from these declarations of these truths of who God is and what God has done for you. And now he's making a command. Make every Effort. Maximum effort. Christian life is not lived to the honor of God without effort. We don't just sit back. He's poured into his people divine power. He's, he's poured into the believer those promises that ring true to our lives as we walk with him. And we're required to 
to make disciplined effort alongside what God has done for us. I think we forget that sometimes. Edmund Hebert said, Spiritual growth in the Christian life calls for the strenuous involvement of the believer. Supplement your faith. That's strong, too. Give, give lavishly. Supplement. Add. Give lavishly. Give generously to your faith. The word there is epicoregio. Coregio. C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O. That's the word we get our word chorus from. Or maybe even choreography from. In Greek culture, the word was used for like a choir master. In those days, there would be these, these staged plays or these festivals, and there would be a wealthy patron who'd be the one who's going to pay for all of this. And so he was the one to put together the chorus for the play. And we think of it in today's terms. He's the guy that would that would bring together the sopranos and the and the basses and the tenors and the and the altos to make a full complete chorus and and lavishly do it, get as many as possible, and sort of choreograph the thing so that uh, it would be spectacular. And in this chorus that Peter is gathering together. He puts together seven graces for us. That's what he supplements faith with, seven graces that are to be followed through by the believer. Fit together like the harmony and the chorus, these seven graces. Like like cooking, like putting a recipe together. You get the recipe, the ingredients, and especially if you're baking, you know, you can't just lump, throw them all in the bowl and do it. There's an order to these things. Even I know that. Or we could see it as a person who gets a variety of nutrients in their body or in their system in order that they might grow physically. Ken Gangle says, in this beautiful paragraph, Peter orchestrates a symphony of grace. To the melody or line of faith, he leads believers to add harmony in a blend of seven Christian virtues, which he lists without explanation or description. So these are spiritual nutrients for spiritual growth in our lives. We see other lists in the New Testament that are equally as important. And when you compare them, you see the qualities of the Christian life in James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So James shows us what wise living is, our right living is like. It's peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. We see a list in Galatians 5. James is wise living, and Galatians 5 has some spirit living here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That list shows a spirit living. And then Peter gives us here what holy living is like. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Supplement your faith. That, that, that's what he's described in those four, first four verses. Supplement that faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. Seven different qualities that need to be brought along. You, you gather those things out. You bring those things alongside your faith. It's been given to you. You add to it. You supplement it. They strengthen our faith. They, those, that list is strengthened by our faith as well. And there is some progression to this order. It's a, there's a literary progression here. Um, but not in the sense that you have to complete... You have to complete virtue or, 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 or goodness or excellence um, before you uh, complete knowledge. And then when you complete knowledge, you add self-control. No, you don't get out that easy. You don't have any self-control. You say, well, I haven't completed knowledge yet. You know, I can still go off the handle here. Each quality is something to be... Worked out in our lives and worked out in, 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 in a period of time in our lives. It's stages. That's a good word. It's stages of the Christian life. It can be a series, like one builds on the other, but it, it's not a sequence in time. In um, a class I'm taking, a counseling class I'm taking. Uh, there was a, a, a quick session on counseling the legalist. You, you've known legalist, haven't you? Legalism's basic premise is human performance can merit divine favor. Legalism's basic premise is human performance can merit divine favor. So we cannot confuse these. That's why the faith aspect came first in the first four verses. They don't come before faith. They come after faith. It's important that we not get any mixed understanding that our performance in the Christian life can merit God's favor. What Peter's saying here, once God has given you faith... Here's your role. Once God has given you faith, here's what you build up. Here's how you supplement that faith. You develop these things in your life. In order not to be saved, you're already saved. That's another religion. In fact, that's just about every other religion. You do these things in order to be saved. It's the opposite for the Christian life. Develop these things in your life. Because you're saved. God has called you to himself. God has saved you. And the fruit 
the, 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 the fruit of that is that you develop these things in your life. That's the test of the true believer. That the true believer will develop these things in their lives. It's a good test for you. Am I just professing my faith and I'm not a, and I'm not a believer? Am I just going to the church? Sometime I just prayed those, those words that they told me to pray when I was in the first grade in vacation Bible school. And, and they baptized me the next week. And I'm, 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 I'm saved. But these things aren't a part of my life. This is a, this is a test. This is that test. You have resources that are adequate for a godly life. And you use them to diligently grow in grace in your life, escaping the corruption there of the world we see there in verse 4. Because it takes every effort. It takes a lot of effort. Because of that corruption in the world, which we say yes to many times, we're not blameless. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and about which were you, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It is possible... It's entirely possible to frustrate the grace of God by having faith without works. In fact, James says that in James 2, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with these following things. The most basic requirement of experiencing effective and efficient Christian growth is to supplement your faith with these things. Matthew Henry says, without giving all diligence, or as we see in the ESV, making every effort, there's no gaining any ground in the work of holiness. And Charles Hodges says, indeed, the Christian fails to add virtue to his faith, his faith will soon become what James described as dead faith. Its vitality and productivity will disappear. In fact, Peter says the same thing in his own way there in verses 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure we'll get there today. So with faith... As the foundation, the believer needs to add seven qualities or virtues or whatever word like that you want to give them with God's help. And each one contributes to the growth of the saint. But the responsibility is ours. God doesn't simply just pour these, uh, these, uh, these virtues into us and we just... You just passively receive them. Instead, we're called to give all diligence, make every effort to these things, working in 
partnership in many ways with God to add them. Sovereignty of God, human responsibility. Sovereignty of God, human responsibility. That's what we're dealing with here. My grandmother, mom's mom, was such a godly woman. She taught a Bible class downtown, ladies' Bible class at Silver Square Baptist Church for many, many years. And I remember one day when I was uh, in her house, she was sitting in a chair, I think. I may have this wrong, but I think she was um, not far from going to be with Jesus. And I was being your typical stupid 15-year-old, blowing off steam. I I have no idea what it was about. And I walked by her chair in the den. These are the only words I have memory of my grandmother ever saying to me. I walked by that chair. I wasn't walking. I was storming by her chair. She wasn't even a part of the situation. She grabbed my arm when I walked by. And she said, Francis, let go and let God. Now, for a 15-year-old who was being a you-know-what, I knew what she meant. She wasn't speaking in theological terms. She was telling me to let God have control of my life. She wanted me to quit doing it my way and to trust God. As a rule, that's not good theology. Describe how we... That's not, it's not a good theology to describe how we live the Christian life. In fact, we need to avoid that phrase in general. And Peter's telling us why that phrase doesn't work. We're not called to let go and let God do everything. We're called to trust God and get to work. Make every effort. We're called to exercise that faith He gives us and apply all diligence and make every effort to live life as God wants us to live. Not work harder in order to be saved. I've said that already. I want to make that point. But to work hard because we've been saved. John Piper says, God acts, then we work. If it's we work, then God acts. That's something else. We don't know what that is. It's not biblical. God acts, then we work. We see that in verses 3 and 4. God acts. Then verses 5 and following, we work. And it's interesting to know this list. He starts with faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And then at the end of verse 7, he ends with love. That's always the order in the New Testament. We start with faith, hope, love. And there are other places as well where we see that. Donald Guthrie says the other virtues are unattainable until the step of faith has been taken. That's why it's first. Let's look at them quickly. Virtue. Uh, the ESV says virtue. Um, your, the, uh, your Bible may say goodness. 
Uh, if you have New American Standard, I think it says moral excellence. This never meant a moral excellence, uh, excellence that you might, uh, might go to a monastery and develop. You can develop a moral excellence in the monastery, just escape from the world and go to a monastery or you go, go to a convent or something to just be a hermit somewhere and get away from the world completely. You can develop a moral excellence that way. But this is a quality of excellence that's demonstrated by how you live in this world that he's already said is corrupt. It's a quality of excellence that's demonstrated, that's revealed, that's shown, something that you've worked on. And it's excellence. If you're a doctor, you be excellent at it. You work at Boeing. We were talking to several guys this morning. You work at Boeing, you be excellent at it. If you're a lawyer, lawyers could be Christians. You'd be excellent at... Just kidding. I think. Be excellent at it. It's harder. It's even harder for preachers to be Excellent at what they do, and many times we fail in that, or at least I do. Excellence at whatever you do. We're called to work. Work is a godly trait. God calls us to work. Do it with excellence. Do all with excellence. It's the character of God himself. There are many times you go to your... Bible software and and search the word excellence and you'll see many times it talks scripture talks about the excellence of God. It's God's character that that we take on. Be excellent. Knowledge. He says um, add to that and Verse 5, supplement your faith with virtue or excellence, and excellence with our virtue with knowledge. Now, that's dealing with our minds. At the beginning of this passage, we were dealing with the heart, the knowledge of God, your, the faith that he's given you. Now, he's dealing with our minds, understanding, correct insight, truth that's comprehended in our lives and our and our minds and and applied by our minds. This involves study, diligent study. How how many times have have you, in the last week, have you opened Scripture and read it and meditated on that and and used your mind with regard to that passage of Scripture? Or did you just open your Bible and read through your daily Bible readings? You don't need much use of your mind just to read through a passage of Scripture. Diligent study, pursuing the truth of God's word. So, and the reason we pursue the truth of God's word is so that we might know the will of God. We might act rightly. To know God by faith and then use our minds to know his will. To know his word and then act on his will. 
Our faith is strengthened with knowledge and the increase or growth of our knowledge is grounded in our faith and it's grounded in our trust. He gave us these minds to use for knowledge of him and his will. Verse 6, and knowledge with self-control. Now we've gone from matters that might not necessarily be so outward focused to some outward focused things, self-control. Yeah, that literally translates holding oneself in. I think earlier I used the flying off the handle phrase. It literally means holding oneself in as self-control, mastery of self. And and it's the contrast. If you turn the page, it won't be on the screen, but turn the page to chapter 2, verse 12. It's contrasting with the false teachers that we're going to deal with in chapter 2. But these... Like irrational, verse 12 of chapter 2. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. No self-control there. And in Peter's day, this term was used for athletes. Athletes who are to be um, self-restrained and and self-disciplined as they prepared for whatever event they were taking part in. So a Christian is to control the flesh. The Christian is to control their passions. Uh, The Christian is to control their bodily desires rather than allowing himself or herself to be controlled by those things. Self-control. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven. but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Self-control and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. He's used that athletic um, picture Many, many times in his letters. Moral excellence, guided by knowledge, the disciplines, desires, and make them the servant, not the master of our lives. Take those desires that that are so strong in your life and control them and discipline so they won't control you. It's such a problem in our society these days that I'm sure... That there are some people in this room this morning who are struggling with pornography. It's so easily accessible, and that guilt fills your life, and you won't self control. But that's something that only can be done with knowledge of the Word. You know God's will in this matter. But knowledge of the Word to strengthen your heart and your mind so that you can control yourself. There are others that have trouble saying no to that next purchase. Can't control yourself. You have to buy that. You've wanted that so long. And we could that we could go through the list on and on and on. You know what I mean. Self-control. 
and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Now you're stepping on toes, preacher. That's patience. Although patience, I don't know of any translation, what translations use that word. I think it's too passive a word to translate this. Steadfastness or perseverance. Patience or endurance in doing what is right. Never giving in to temptation. Never giving in to, to that trial that's in your life. That spiritual staying power. That's a good thing. Spiritual staying power. And it's that staying power that will die before you give in. Perseverance. Steadfastness. It's that virtue that can endure. It's not just, not just resignation. You just go sit off in a chair and say to yourself, well, i got this trial going on. There's nothing I can do about it. I'll just have to persevere. I'll just have to be steadfast in this. No, it is a vibrant hope in this, being steadfast, taking those trials with hope and strength, sticking it out in times of trial with the strength that God provides. The willingness to, to accept whatever obstacles come your way, whatever obstacles that are placed in your life, And the courage to make those obstacles stepping stones in your life as you grow, as you walk with Him. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. The Phillips translation uh, translates this godliness, devotion to God. I like that. James talks about godliness. And uh, James 1.27, he describes it. It's a religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a good description. Godliness. And then verse 7, and godliness with brotherly affection. Philia. Brotherly love, brotherly kindness, brotherly affection. Mutual sacrifice for each other. That's Philia. That's where we get the, the, the city, the name Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. Although if you've ever seen Eagles fans, you wonder how that, how that connects. But... But it's supposed to be the city of brotherly love. Philia. And that's our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Our kindness to each other. Our love to each other. And godliness with add that to brotherly affection. With all diligence, add that to brotherly affection. That relationship with the family of God. John tells us in 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And it's our witness. John also tells us in the gospel that that, 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 that world, they know who Christ is by how we care for each other. But love for brothers and sisters in the church is not enough. And so he says, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with agape, God's sort of love. That's not just brothers and sisters. That's for everyone. It's universal. It includes all of us, everyone. Every race, every religion. Jesus taught that by loving our enemies, we show that we're sons of God. We see this in God's love is not limited to those who don't respond. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, right now, just think about that enemy. Okay? That you have to love. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and call out names this morning. I am this afternoon. <laughs> but I say to you, love your enemy. You laugh, but wait. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love everyone. And I'm going to give you homework. I didn't run this by Stephen. In Lifeline tonight, those of you that go to Lifeline, you better show up. I want you to name your enemy. And what it is about that person that makes them your enemy. And I want your group to pray for them. And pray for you. Mostly you. Now, if your group knows the name of that enemy, you just explain the traits that make them your enemy. Don't share the name. You got it? You lifeline leaders, and you pray for your heart that you might love your enemies as you're commanded. Someone said, and this is not a perfect definition of these words, but I think it's a good picture for us to see. Eros, that's that intimate sexual love. Eros, love. These are, these are three Greek words for, um, for love. Eros is all take. It's what I can get out of it. Philia, that brotherly love we were talking about earlier, that's, that's give and take. That's what we share in the body of Christ. Agape, God's love, that's all give.
to everyone. Peter's writing to these people, as we'll see in another chapter, who are tempted to go back to false teachers because they haven't developed these graces in their lives. They haven't developed these virtues in their lives. And so they need to. We see that they don't as they move forward in in the next chapter. We'll see some have fallen away because they didn't develop these. They didn't make every diligent effort to develop these in their lives. They didn't work at it. These things that are crucial. Look at that list. Think about it. Supplement your faith. First, you start with that. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're a believer today, you supplement your faith with virtue, goodness, knowledge. Are you working on that? Self-control? How's that working out? Patience, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. How are you loving your enemies? Are you growing in these areas? Are you working on these things? Are you just avoiding these things? Are you saying to yourself, boy, I'm saved now. God's in control. Chose me before the foundation of the world. I can just coast. It's easy going now. I stamped my pass. God did his work in me. I don't have to make any effort because of all God's sovereign work. God is all sovereign. That'll send you right to hell. That attitude may reveal someone who's bound for an eternity in hell. Remember, I said at the the beginning that the true believer will attend to these things. Examine yourself. The true believer will attend to these matters and make diligent effort to develop them in their lives. Examine yourself for your good. Let's pray together. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn, closing hymn. And if you are here today and don't have faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you entrusted His work on the cross on your behalf, I encourage you to do that. We call you to do that. We invite you to do that. But if you have questions about that during this hymn, there'll be people in the back. You just make your way back there while we sing, and they'll answer your questions and pray with you and love you. There are other reasons you need to respond to this message. You go back and have people pray with you. God, we thank you for your word, for your work in our lives. We thank you that you've given us a work to do. You've established faith in in your church. We pray that we might make every diligent effort to supplement that faith with these things. Continue to do your work in us as we go from this place today. Bless our time now as we close. In the name of Jesus, amen.